Hey everyone, we are back. It's season two of Getting to the Root of It with Venus Roots, aka me, your host. Um, it has been a whirlwind since last time we spoke, but very excited to be back. Very excited for the show to be kicking back up and also very excited for today's guest, Manolo de los Santos in New York. How are you? Super happy to be with you on this show. I'm super excited, too. I'm so happy that you said yes. Um, and I'm so grateful we're kicking off season two with you. Um, you are an educator and an organizer, and I've been admiring your work for a minute. So when you said yes, I was like, yes, <laughs> it was so great. Um, so I really want you you're to the one I admire. You're, you're, <laughs> the, you're the folks organizing in the South. Yeah, yeah. Truly the belly of the beast. And we'll, we're going to get into that. Um, but, you know, really just want to affirm your work and just, you know, like give you your flowers. I'm so excited for our conversation today. And, you know, Manolo, you know, I'm in Miami. So I think when we talk about belly of the beast, we really talk about one of the capitals of of that here. Um, and we're having this conversation a few days out from planned protests happening in Goa. And you know, the discourse around Cuba and the U.S. and what sort of narratives we should be intaking. I mean, there's media conglomerates that are trying to determine how we should be feeling about what the Cuban people and the Cuban project is up to. And I think today is hopefully a more honest and sober conversation around like, hey, what are some things that we should actually be mindful of? What are some narratives we should reject? What are some things that we should double down on if we actually want to show solidarity to the Cuban people? But yeah, we're a few days out of these protests. How are you making sense of all of this? Well, it's been hard to make sense of everything because... Mm. You know, I think the question on a lot of people's minds is like, what do the Cuban people really want? Mm -hmm. But it's hard to actually hear what people in Cuba want or to sort of give agency to the Cuban people when it's basically the U.S. government that consistently sort of speaks for them mm. or determines the line or determines the understanding for what is happening in Cuba what Cubans, what Cubans are like actually able to say and, and do, you know, a lot of the talk around what's going to happen on November 15th has been coming from DC and not actually from Cuba. Mm -hmm. uh, I was counting this morning. There've been 29 public statements mm. by US government officials on what November 15th is all about, <laughs> including threats um, mm. from the US government. So it's, I think it's hard to still figure out, but it's definitely, at least from where I'm sitting and from talking to friends in Cuba and family there, it's like whatever goes down on our routine, regardless of how actually things happen, whether people go protest or not, whether, you know, people are actually allowed to protest or not, the bigger deal is that there seems to be this like obsessive compulsive disorder mm. out of Washington, D.C., determined to define Cuba for Cubans, but by the U.S. And yeah. that's like a dangerous tendency that anyone with like love for their country, love for their people should be worried about. Yeah, exactly. And I think 
something that strikes me is that sometimes I what I notice on social media or even with friends and like folks here in Miami specifically, but obviously all over the U.S., is that, you know, everyday people might be uh, might have good intentions. Right. I don't think, you know, people are like want horrible things for the Cuban people, but at the same time and in the same breath might in some way advocate for things like U.S. intervention for U.S. Um, sort of policy and U.S. control over this small island. And I'm curious, you know, Manolo, in your own studies and your own work, like, what is the danger of us, even when it seems casual or maybe just sharing something on our IG story or in, in candid conversation, making these type of advocacies and sort of rationalizing why the U.S. should be involved in any capacity? I don't know if folks know this Latin American writer, Eduardo Galeano. Of course. Well, I love him. So folks need to get on it. <laughs> Latin America, so many wonderful books and poetry. Mm-hmm. And I remember him saying after the the second war in Iraq, 2003, he said, you know, anytime the U.S. intervenes somewhere, every time the U.S. shows up in another country, it always leaves that country either as a cemetery mm-hmm. or as an insane asylum. You know, I I still haven't seen a situation where, right or wrong, U.S. intervention somehow leaves that country in a better place. Mm. You know, we just saw Afghanistan. I mean, yeah. we were kids when we were told that the U.S. was going in there to secure freedom for Afghan women. Mm-hmm. Can we ask ourselves, are women in Afghanistan freer today because the U.S. bombed the hell out of Afghanistan for 20 years. I don't know anyone who can. Mm-hmm. So, you know, regardless of like where we see or how we stand on, on Cuba today, it's hard to believe that anyone would actually want to believe that U.S. intervention somehow could leave some positive effect on the island or for anyone in the Caribbean or Latin America at this point, like will U.S. intervention make racism go away in Cuba? Really? No. Is is somehow U.S. intervention gonna like bring equal marriage to LGBT Cubans? No. Is 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 anything that we want for the future of Cuba, a Cuba that's more inclusive, that is more social justice oriented, that you know, ultimately gives all the rights to all the people in a way that it has promised for the last 60 years. Will any of that happen because the U.S. intervenes? Most likely not. Mm-hmm. I, I, no one really has to convince me with facts <laughs> and stories and like give me, like show me proof of mm-hmm. where it's happened for me to believe that somehow it would be different in Cuba in 2021 when this country is going to shit. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's so wild the sort of um how they've perfected um their propaganda machine. And I think it's important for folks to think like there isn't I mean, of course there's like the unique conditions right now, right? The COVID pandemic. Like, of course this moment is very particular, but there's also so much of the same all at the you know, all at the same time. And I think I don't know that folks really realize like how much money, how many resources, how much labor this country has put into us 
having all types of suspicions, all types of sort of um, just like fear of of the Cuban project and the Cuban revolution and everything it's attempted to do, you know, in the past 60 years. I really appreciate that you sort of made this connection with Afghanistan, right? Because I feel, you know, it's been 20 years, you know, they decided to pull troops now, which is a whole separate conversation <laughs> as to why now and really who who was behind those decisions. But I think now we can all sort of very bluntly admit and say, like, that was an absolutely terrorizing war. There was no benefit to the Afghan people. The U.S. loss in terms of like, you know, now the Taliban is really running the ship, which is not what anybody necessarily wanted, or at least not the Afghan people. And all of the death toll and all of the sort of casualties and the sort of extraction of people that happens through war, that I think that's something as Americans, I think, you know, myself included, like when you're not on the receiving end of war, I think it's difficult to understand the sort of terror and the horror and the sort of, I mean, I don't even know what word to use, you know, like what it really means. And I think that's important because it's like, this is the same empire Right. That now we're in like turning around being like, but maybe they could help Cuba, you know, maybe this time. And I think Manolo, you know, I think with people like us that like study um, what our folks in the Caribbean have gone through and also just Latin America and the whole global south. I really I agree, you know, like, where is the example there? Ha- like, where is the one example where it's like, you know what? The U.S. coming in actually helped people's material conditions, actually gave them more freedom, actually brought them closer to sort of a well-being and like a collective good. And it's really hard to place that. So what are some things that we should stay vigilant as we get closer to November 15th and whatever happens after? Because we know that there's a whole, I can imagine that there's a whole like communications press release strategy plan um, being drafted somewhere between D.C. and Miami. <laughs> like, So what are some things that we need to be really like acute and mindful of in the next couple weeks? Well, I think that it's becoming clear that, I mean, and actually, you know, lucky for us, the U.S. government publishes some of these things, mm-hmm. is that they've pumped in just in September, September alone, they've pumped in $7 million into so-called independent media Cuba projects. Hmm. And some of them are the ones that we know, like ADN, Cuba, Cyber, Cuba, um, the, you know, all the Instagram accounts that we follow that are huge, that, you know, pump stuff on Cuba every day are actually being financed by the U.S. government. And they're being financed with a very clear directive, which is, in light of nothing actually happening in Cuba, make stuff up and make it seem bigger than it is, you know? Mm-hmm. And if you look closely at these accounts going back to July, they were basically regurgitating. And I say regurgitating because it was literally like they were puking and then like putting that puke back in and throwing back out constantly mm. to try to convince us in a very nasty way that there was like this civil war taking place in Cuba. And they're going to try to do that again on November 15th. I mean, it's already clear that there actually won't be major mobilizations in Cuba on November 15th for multiple reasons. Some of them great, some of them not so great. But there won't be anything really happening on the island that day. In fact, I'll be in Cuba on November 15th 
I will be tweeting out if I see anything because I'm curious to see if there will actually be protests on the street. I, I would love to see them with my own eyes. But the most likelihood there won't be anything. But we will have these media projects in the U.S. and supported by the people we already know, the Washington Post, the Miami Herald, the New York Times, that without actually having to be paid to do it, gladly want to repeat this regurgitated lie, you know, which I think is sad and shameful because when I think of the things that they do decide to publish about, I also think about the things that they don't publish about. Yeah. Like they, why is no one talking right now about the major crisis that the U S government has brought into Puerto Rico? I mean, I'm Puerto Rican. So I'm like, we could go there. Like I, I feel very personally a type of way when people are talking about U S intervention. Cause you know, I mean, PR shows you, right? Like, we exactly. have been a colony. I mean, the world's oldest colony in some in some ways. Like, we know what that's like. I so, mean, why is it that half half the families in Puerto Rico right now don't have electricity? Oh, exactly. I mean, it's giving disaster capitalism. With a U.S. company that's mm-hmm. being paid for with taxpayer money, mm-hmm. and there's no electricity for half the families in the country. Why is it that a U.S. organized fiscal board is closing mm-hmm. down the public university. Mm-hmm. You know, actually taking away the rights of thousands of young Puerto Ricans to actually be able to study in their own country. Yep. You know, why are they actually forcing thousands and thousands of Puerto Ricans to migrate to the to the mainland US? You know, mm-hmm. it's all these questions that again when they're when they're talking to me about Cuba, 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 Cuba every day and everyone in Cuba is dying and there's a civil war and there's this repression, this oppression, there's a very selective you know erasure of Mm -hmm. the reality of many other peoples on the planet yeah i'm so i'm so it's it's actually really wild because what i was going to bring up next was puerto rico as well right as like a comparative point um especially the crisis that's happening on the island right now i was actually trying to go next weekend but um you know something i've heard from some people which you know we can make some sense of it you know, people ask, okay, right, the U.S. has, like, a particular history, sure, but what is it about the small island that would make it so, so, so important for the U.S. to actually, like, go through all these hoops and invest all this money to try to, um, you know, intervene with its sort of project? And I've heard the same thing about Puerto Rico. Like, what is so, so mm-hmm. what is so important about these small islands that maybe don't, quote-unquote, produce, you know, they don't have the oils, they don't have the da-da-da-da-da. What is it so important about this region um, that the U.S., the biggest empire, would actually go through all of this to try to have some level of control? What do you, what do you think of when you hear this sort of question? I mean, I can give you, like, the historical answer. <laughs> Let's back. let's get a little history and then also emotionally, right? As Caribbean, yeah, I, mean, I have a very emotional response to this, so. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I'll go the emotional first and then back it up with history, which is mm-hmm. that the U.S. has, you know, been insulted with the idea that an island of 11 million people essentially have refused to follow their orders for the last 60 years. The U.S. government has never forgiven the Cuban people for actually making their own decisions. Mm-hmm. It's literally, for me, it's like, it's the story of the Maroons. It's like the story of the slave who ran away from the plantation, burned the plantation down and built out their own new home. And that home may have leaks. 
that home may have may not have windows, it may not have a door, but it's the home that these runaway slaves have built. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm ultimately always willing to defend this small island. If I give you the historical response, the, the history to back it up is to say that the U.S. government mm-hmm. going back 200 years, I mean, going back to the early presidents. I mean, Thomas Jefferson was talking about Cuba as the ripe fruit. You know, mm-hmm. it, it only needed a little bit of time for it to fall into the lap of the U.S. That's how the U.S. has always seen the whole Caribbean, simply as its own area of influence to control. And it's not about the resources that come with it. It's not about even the people who come with these islands. It's literally about how to control territory. Mm-hmm. And the fact that Cuba and other countries are at different points in their history have fought for their independence, for their sovereignty, has gone in the way of the U.S. plans. I mean, ultimately, Puerto Rico is highly important to this day beyond the billions of dollars that it actually gives to the U.S. economy, mm-hmm. which is a real thing. More importantly, it's the fact that Puerto Rico is the most important military outpost for the U.S. and the Caribbean. I mean, it's from the basis in Puerto Rico that the U.S. basically launches invasions and attacks on the rest of Latin America. Mm. I mean, if if the U.S. were to lose Puerto Rico to, today, it would not be able to launch invasions on Venezuela or Colombia or any part of the region in the same ways. It would have to rethink its strategic plan, actually. Um, and I think part of the plan to recover Cuba is to actually recover its military hegemony in the region. That has always been part of its plan. Hmm. Luckily for us, luckily for humanity, luckily for the people of Latin America, Cuba continues to be the thorn on the side of the U.S. government's back. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the people who literally refuse to follow U.S. orders. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean... Yeah, I'm I'm feeling it all. <laughs> I'm feeling it all because uh it's it's so layered, right? Like we're not just talking about November 15th. We're not just like debriefing what went down in July. You know, we're talking about the lives of millions of people, right? Um that look like you and I and like the people that we love. Um and that's also another piece of the story that I get I think gets so invisibilized, right? And like the whole policy talk, the intervention talk is like, we're actually talking about families. We're talking about real people. And there's something so, I mean, casual around the way that like Americans, we sometimes tend to navigate these conversations of geopolitics and like hundreds of years of history and struggle. That's like, no, this is what we should do. Or like, no, this is what I think. Or like, fuck the U.S. Uh, or fuck the Cuban government, or this is that, this is that. Suddenly everyone becomes an expert and a diplomat on geopolitics when these type of crises happen. Um, But we don't, sometimes I see that folks don't actually like zoom out for a second and think actually what's at stake for real people. Um, And I think that feels really, that feels really hard on my heart, right? Because I think as I've been sort of keeping track of what's been happening in Goa and Biden's unwillingness to actually support the island and having a sort of robust response to this COVID crisis, 
um, which, you know, we can actually talk about the ways in which Cuba has been able to do that against all the odds. But the but what I'm referring to is Biden's unwillingness to actually facilitate that, right? And actually, you know, um, get rid of some very clear barriers to support the Cuban people. But did, feels- you hear, did, did you hear about Biden's latest brutal joke on Cuba? No. Oh, I can't stand him. No. So no. He spent... The U.S. government spent over a year blocking Cuba's development of its own vaccines. Like it, it blocked, like it literally blocked Cuba getting able to get natural, like the actual resources to build their own vaccines. Mm-hmm. And then just a couple of, a week ago, the U.S. government, now mm-hmm. that Cuba has its own vaccines, the U.S. Mm-hmm. government offered Cuba a million vaccines. Exactly. I... It's a cynical joke. It's... it's the type of jokes that the U.S. plays on people all the time. And that's exactly what I'm talking about, right? Because it's like, at this point, it's not even about just ideology or who we want to defend. It's like, I actually really think this is like genocidal. This is really cruel. It's violent. Violence is an understatement as to what this country does deliberately. Um, And I think the COVID crisis and the pandemic has had a really unique way of sort of demonstrating that to us, right? And you know, it doesn't surprise me that he would make that type of joke, right? Like, because for them, this is a this is a joke, right? And this is another sort of chess move and on the on the board. Um, what is, what is you know something that you're sort of grappling with in this reality, right? Like, the U.S. continues to double down on its narrative. Millions of Cubans continue to suffer. The political landscape is trying to make sense of having limited resources and all these additional restrictions in a crucial moment. Um, yeah, like, how are you making sense of all of these competing and clashing realities that ultimately just impact people? It's hard. It's hard. Mm. I mean, I, I I talk to my friends in Cuba every day. Mm. Um, friends, people who I consider family, like people who I share blood sweat, and tears with. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, actually, I have friends on all sides of the political spectrum in Cuba. I mean, I have people who who agree and defend the revolution, and I have people who hate it and are organizing against it. You know, I have friends at all ranks, um, and they're all family to me. You know, and I still talk to them all every day. And you know, when when the mayor of Miami was calling to bomb Havana. I literally thought about, like, is the bomb going to know to only kill my communist friends in Cuba? Or is it also going to kill my friends who actually are against the revolution, too? You know, mm-hmm. I, I think about how indiscriminate the level of violence that the U.S. government wages on the people of Cuba. I, I, I think about, you know, how much harder life has to become for people ordinary people simply because they live in this island um i think about how we're likely not to see any real changes in u.s government policy for the next period of time like i don't foresee biden making any real changes like he's like digging his heels in the ground and i just think that's going to make the lives of all of my friends way more miserable yeah you know they have done everything within their power to basically pushed people in Cuba to have nothing else to do but to rise up. I mean, and, and I think that's that's the factor that 
sadly some people are proud of in Southern Florida. You know, they're proud of the mm -hmm. fact that, wow, we're really like, we're really hurting them so bad that now they have no other option than to, you know, go into the streets. I don't see that as a positive. Mm -hmm. I see that as like a manipulation, like, like how bad do you need to manipulate a situation where you force people to do that using hunger, scarcity, the limitation of so many basic goods and, and, and services basically to push people to protest. Um, and I'm worried for the future. I mean, yeah. that's the hardest thing to make sense of right now. I'm worried for the future of Cuba if we allow the U.S. government to continue to do this. Mm -hmm. I mean, if we continue to live in a reality where, again, like you said, and it's a powerful word, we allow a genocidal policy to continue against people who are literally 90 miles away from us and let it happen and just assume that it's like, well, it's the course of history, then I am worried for our own future because that's the other side of the toll is that the more we lose our sense of human responsibility towards the people in Cuba, the less human responsibility we feel towards people in our own reality here. Absolutely. I mean, how are we going to defeat white supremacy? How are we going to defeat patriarchy? How are we going to defeat capitalism as a system that sustains all of this when we are allowing this small island to be destroyed mm -hmm. by the empire? I mean, that's that's the scary part. And I actually want to believe that you and other like amazing young people in this country are aware of this reality and are already in your own ways doing things to change that reality. Our challenge is how do we get more people to embrace <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> oh, exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, just hearing you talk, it's, it, it feels, it just feels really emotional, honestly. You know, I think in particular, I think being in a place like Miami where, where there's, I mean, there's such reactionary politics here, right? That's so true. And there's there's also so many working class, black and brown people who have been pushed out of their respective countries because of the same type of policies, right? And these invasions and this sort of violent, um, you know, violent paradigm that this country always just perpetuates. That I'm like, you know, it's not just about you know, it's again, it's not just an ideological commitment. And I think that's what people really need to understand. Like this call is not just for people who want to defend the revolution or who want to call themselves socialists, leftists, communists. It's really not about that. And I really I really appreciate that you mentioned like human responsibility and solidarity. Um, and I think the global south understands that responsibility really, really well and demonstrates that commitment time and time again against the odds. I share my concerns around how people in the empire are not necessarily do not feel as committed to having to uphold that that sort of responsibility and the and then sort of danger because I think you know something I've even talked about with friends and folks here in Miami is like you know ultimately we do not live in Cuba we are not citizens of Cuba but we are citizens of the U.S. we have you know, some sort of, or we should have some sort of agency around what decisions this government is making on our behalf. And I think people need to feel that this government is continuously making decisions on our behalf, right? Like, you know, they are doing that 
not only just with our taxpayer money and it's not just about that but really with like a manufactured consent like americans are behind this generally and sadly because of this propaganda machine that they've perfected it kind of is right with our permission right of course we see pockets of resistance and struggle and and trying to cut through the like hegemonic power of that but generally speaking any of the you know when we think of afghanistan like yes this government has the sort of stamp of approval of like most of its people and that really concerns me i i feel similarly like i'm like it feels dark because it's like then what does that mean for the terrain of struggle here right even if we're like okay forget cuba forget everything let's just talk miami let's just talk florida let's just talk the u.s it's like it actually demonstrates that we're not equipped um and might not be as committed to like building the alternatives we need and that for me feels really that that feels worrisome you know and not to be like pessimistic about it because i think there's some there's some lighthouses but it does feel like these are really crucial times for people to be making decisions and making their sort of allegiances very clear well i can be sometimes very pessimistic but i <laughs> i'm also filled with a lot of light and love because, well, recognizing that there are many contradictions in our world today. Mm-hmm. And, and actually, our generation in particular has grown up with a very neoliberal contradiction yeah. of, you know, coexisting between Audre Lorde quotes and and calls for U.S. intervention, as if Truly. that were a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, you know, our generation has been given a calling. Mm-hmm. I mean, ultimately beyond Cuba, beyond anything, the call is to save humanity. I mean, Truly. the call is to save this planet we live on. We don't have a choice. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, there are choices to be made. And at the same time, we have no choice if we want to actually say that we want to see another generation grow. We have a responsibility to actually to do something about it. And I think a lot of it starts by the work that we do here. I mean, my my gut feeling always tells me that, and it ultimately it's proven by reality, that the enemies of humanity on this side, the folks who are always advocating to maintain white supremacy, the folks who are always roaring with their homophobia and their transphobia, the people who are actively against poor people in this country are somehow always the same people who want to create their new order in places mm-hmm. like Cuba and Venezuela and so and so on, you know? So in a way, the more that we are actually capable of moving a political project of the people in this reality, particularly in places like the South, Mm-hmm. which in a, in a sense holds the key to this country. If deep changes are actually able to be built upon in, in among poor people in the South, then in a way that will create new conditions for people in Cuba to actually live a different life without the weight of U.S. intervention. And I actually strongly believe that once there isn't the foot of the U.S. government on the neck of the Cuban people, they will be able to make all sorts of decisions that will surprise most of us. Mm -hmm. 
on their own terms at their own pace. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. Yes. Um, you know, I, I'm constantly thinking of just like the role of organizing in a place like Miami and Florida in these moments. Um, and I feel really affirmed by just kind of everything you just offered. Cause in, in so many ways, I think of it as like this note of empire, right? Like it's just, it's a crucial nucleus, you know, without it, empire's in trouble. And at the same time, that's what makes the conditions here so mind boggling, right? Like the contradictions are out of control. The sort of um, subtle violence that moves, you know, through legislature and through economic decisions. This is so, so much to to kind of navigate on a day to day. Um, but I absolutely also feel that. And at the same time, to give some credit, I do see more and more young people and, you know, even thinking of Cuban Americans who are actually rejecting all of the sort of narratives that they've been instilled with for so long and actually asking really crucial questions right and again it's not a binary like oh okay that means that you know the they love Che Guevara and all the stuff some of them but asking really critical questions around actually even for my lineage or as like a Cuban-American so I've heard some people say like I do care for the Cuban people and I have questions around the narratives that I've been told, right. From my grandparents, from my parents and also reckoning with their own positionality in, in a Cuban society pre-revolution, right. Which has been a whole, a whole nother project for people to sort of contend with, um, you know, kind of, and I think there's something really sort of like spiritual almost about that. Like having to understand like, what sort of role your family might have occupied and kind of like what you do with that information. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. I mean, there, there are, there are a lot of moments of light. I think we just need to be really grounded and centered in our commitments. Um, Cause I think, you know, there's like the November 15th moments where it's, I think it will waver. It will, it will tempt us to feel wavered, right? It's not a good look, I can say. It's not going to be a good look for me to drop this in a few days when, you know, all of Miami is going to be, you know, talking about SOS Cuba. Me and my friends make a joke on our chat where we put SOS USA all the time. Every time something's happening, right? Like we're interacting with the healthcare system and like an absurdity happens, right? Like they send you a ridiculous bill and we'll just put in the chat, I'm like SOS USA. And I think we need to, we need to pivot inward a little bit in this country because I'm like, what's happening in this country is actually just unacceptable, especially in a place like Miami. I mean, everyone I know is getting pushed out, displaced. You know, we were named like second most expensive city in the country. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of things we need to deal with inward. Um, I'm also curious, I think, aside from Cuba and this conversation, are there sort of projects that you're looking to that are also sort of bringing you some sort of like revolutionary fervor and curiosity. I'm so happy you asked that question because the, one of the things that actually grounds me a lot these days and actually fills me up with a lot of love and hope to keep fighting is this thing called the international people's assembly. It is a coming together of over 200 revolutionary organizations around the world, trade unions, women's collectives, 
political parties of the left, social movements, people's movements, people who are around the world who actually believe in changing this together, you know, mm. and who actually feel that being connected to international movements is not a question of being in solidarity as it much is a question of a strategic necessity, you know, that we can't survive without each other. Exactly. You know, if, if we have not made the connections, the links between what working people are going through in South Africa mm-hmm. with folks in Miami, then we have not unlocked the full capacity yet for transformation of the world we live in. Yeah. You know, and, and, the, and those connections go in so many directions. I mean, Cuba is a small piece of that. Mm-hmm. Of actually believing that we have to transform reality, that it's not enough to be actually contented with what is. We don't have to just accept the mandate that there is no hope for the future, yeah. and that's why I am pessimistic and anti-pessimistic. Exactly, <laughs> because I, I refuse to actually want to live in a world where the only answer is death, because that's mm-hmm. the project that they're selling us. Yeah, they're selling us death in every space, in every form, through culture, through music, through mm-hmm. science, through education, through everything. That's all they're selling us now. Yeah. There's no way out. Yeah. I have finally found hundreds, I would say millions of people around the planet who actually say otherwise. Mm. And that is actually the, the sort of key element towards keep continuing to build into the future, you know? the people are actually going to be building their own future, yes. not the U.S. government. No, please, no. <laughs> like, we've seen their vision. Uh, yeah, that's so, so, so beautiful. And I think I really resonate because me, myself, when I'm going through these really dark waves, you know, when it feels like the waters are not cho- are not just choppy, like we drowning up in here. <laughs> um, you might be in Miami soon. Exactly. No, exactly. Then that then there's a literal figurative uh, piece of that. Um, then, you know, I sort of, you know, I'll read like a newsletter coming out of Tricontinental and just being like, damn, people doing such dope shit in like literally all corners of the world and asking very similar questions. And I think capitalism, white supremacy, patriarchy, all of these violent systems that are so seeped in our day to day. I think one of the most uh, mo- one of the most harmful things it does to us is this feeling of deep alienation, right? And sometimes it just feels better to just numb it all out and consume and dissociate and just and believe the lie like this is it. This is the only way it's going to be. They're too powerful and we don't have our shit together. And, you know, let's just give up now. And then I think looking to other comrades across the globe is so it really feels like a warm blanket i'm like okay no like it it reminds me to to fight against the lie and there's something so powerful in that type of sort of hope really um so no i resonate so so much i am also like so excited you're going to cuba um and very much so going to be tuned in to hear these live tweets as to what's happening on the ground when are you coming for me oh when am I going to New York? No, when are you coming to Cuba? Oh, I know. I was supposed to go for this one, but it didn't work out time-wise. But hopefully next year I have more flexibility. And Let's do 
absolutely. I you have no idea how much it would mean to me to be in Cuba, especially I spent some time back in Puerto Rico, like five, six weeks earlier this year, like over the winter break. And it was the first time I was going since the hurricane. Um, and it was the middle of COVID. And there was just, I don't know, there was it was deep ancestral work happening. Um, and I think my appreciation for the Cuban project and the experiment that they've been up to for, you know, the past 60 years, like it, so many com- like constellations were clicking in my head, right? Because I think there's like the historical truths I know, you know, had been to Cuba in the past. Like there's there's that aspect, but I think this emotional lineage ancestry piece feels really different. And I don't think we often get to talk about how it feels, you know, to be part of a colonized people that is still trying to affirm life every day. Um which is really beautiful. And then there's also so much pain, right? I think, you know, driving through the island from coast to coast and just seeing all of the damage. And it's not just like the damage from the hurricane, right? For I think for us, it feels very much so like the damage of the U.S. hands deciding, okay, this is the most traumatic experience you all have had as a people. And this is how we're going to respond just for the sake of profit and control and and the same thing as always. So, Yes, soon, soon, soon. Can't wait for you all to be there. Um, anything else that we should be sort of mindful of in this time, not just in, in hopes of November 15th, but, you know, I also imagine a lot of folks who are listening and are in Miami are going to be spending the holidays with family. There's going to be a lot of these sort of narratives really kind of like in the forefront of the dinner table. You know, what are some words that you want? folks to keep in mind that's a heavy task <laughs> it um, is it is i mean because what do we say to our abuelas and and uncles who you know those tias who are arguing on everything mm. but I, I think if there's if there's a principle to hold in our minds and actually to hold deeper in our hearts is let's let's do something for the people you know, if whatever, whatever you think, like we may disagree on this issue, you know, we don't have to agree on the Castros. We don't have to agree on socialism. We don't have to agree on left politics. But do you agree that people deserve to live with dignity? Mm-hmm. Do you agree that people deserve to live a life without being threatened yeah. by the most powerful empire on the planet? Mm. If we can agree to those things, let's do things for that. Exactly. Yes. Manola, I want to thank you so much for talking with me. I'm so, so, so excited um, for your your trip over to Goa. I'm very much so going to be tuned in and be comparing it to see what, this, what CNN and the New York Times are saying. You know, I'll probably have y'all uh, screen to screen. <laughs> but I'm also just super grateful for kind of all of the reminders you offered um, today. I think feel really affirmed and sort of the slow world building we're up to. Sometimes it feels really, really slow and, and there's no shortcuts to it. But I think really affirmed in what we're all up to. And always grateful for your sort of assessment and your clarity in the moment. And um yeah, just so so happy to have been in conversation with you today. Thank you. I mean, you bring joy, science, and and 
and actual movement to the work mm-hmm. we do. Keep doing that. I'm Thank excited you. for this season number two. Yes, thank you.